Hey friends, and welcome to this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. This is your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a counterterrorism professional turned career coach, speaker, and Forbes blogger, and I created the U-Turn Podcast because, let's face it, every now and again, we realize that we're living life on autopilot, and it's time to wake up and make that U-Turn in your life. So prepare to go deep with some of the most transformational people I know, here to help you grow and upgrade your mindset, whether it's in work or love. Also, be sure to stick around for the end of every episode where I'm going to reflect on the conversation and offer actionable coaching insights to have a real impact on your life. In the meantime, we've opened up access to three free e-courses on uturnpodcast.com. So head on over there if you want to land a new job you love, find your purpose, or launch your dream business. All of these courses are totally free. All you got to do is head on over to uturnpodcast.com. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com. Now let's get started with this week's guest. But ultimately, research has now shown that we choose our partners because of our childhood programming. And that can either be, again, from our parents and that first experience of love or from a first intimate experience of love. Think the thing that you never got when we were young, when you were young, you're probably going to choose someone who won't give you that. Hey everybody, it's Ash and I'm here with Nora DeKaiser. She's a matchmaker to successful women and a relationship coach. Obviously, you all know me and I'm, you know, picking her brain before this interview even starts because I'm so excited to jump into this. Um, so while we get started, I want you to have your pen and pad ready because we're going to talk about the key ingredients to finding a compatible relationship. So Nora, thank you so much for being here with me. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. What a useful topic. And I know not everybody listening to U-Turn Podcast is single, but I also know that a lot of people probably aren't in a relationship where they feel like it's compatible and they're noticing because things are really hard. So I'm so curious, you know, before we get into your story, like just for everybody listening, what are some signs that you're not in a compatible relationship? Maybe they're kind of sneaky little signs. Oh yeah. No, that's, that's a, Really good question. A lot of people are actually in relationships that they're unhappy with, but we don't realize that on a conscious level. So some of the signs that that are telltale signs that you are not happy is when you're comparing. So when you see your friend get a present from her boyfriend and then you feel this kind of lack in your own heart and then start diagnosing everything with your relationship and kind of freaking out. That's an easy sign that you are not happy. Mm-hmm. Um, another really big sign specifically for women is when we push our emotions down. Um, so when something happens between you and your partner and you just kind of tell yourself, Oh, this is nothing. It's little, uh, just don't think about it. It's not that big of a deal. I'm so lucky to be with this guy. It's important to keep positive um, and not overanalyze everything in your relationship. But if that's a consistency, if once a week you're pushing something down and not expressing your full vulnerable heart, then you are definitely um, probably not in the right relationship. And I also, I think the concept of fighting is really, really interesting because a lot of people sometimes, I've heard a lot of different opinions. On one hand, I've heard if you're not fighting at all, that's not a good thing because that just means that you're not stepping into your individuality. Like I've heard that belief. And then I've also heard, you know, sometimes when you're fighting, um, it's just that one person hasn't grown at a level where they can, you know, have the conversation. For example, I dated a guy 
who was really uncomfortable with communication. So he thought our relationship was really hard, but it was hard because anytime I would try to communicate, he would shut down. That was my belief. So I don't know if I co-created that or what. But I think a lot of people, there's some confusion around fighting. Like, is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? How much is too much, you know? Yeah, no. I mean, in terms of fighting, that's kind of what I just touched on right before that is is if you're pushing it down and you're not fighting, that's almost worse than communicating and actually fighting. Um, so in your past relationship, it was good that you wanted to talk and communicate. Um, he probably was shutting down because he felt as though he was doing something wrong. Um, and I don't know how you approached the fight. I'm sure you're very communicative communicative and open, but oftentimes women in our natural state, we tend to come off as nagging mm-hmm. and a little bit negative. And, and the moment that happens, a guy will shut down no matter what, no matter if he is very emotionally aware and very interested and excited to be with you. When he feels like you're nagging, he almost feels as if his mother is nagging him to clean his room as an example. So uh, my biggest piece of advice with that, if you really think you are with the right guy and you really do love him, come at that fight with love. So come towards him saying, I love our relationship. I love the way that you treat me. Um, and I love when we do this together, but sometimes when this happens, it hurts me. And, and I know that you love me and I know you don't want to hurt me. So I wanted to talk about that. When you come in that way, the man is going to feel very safe and not as if you're, you're, um, nagging him or telling him what to do. He'll see your heart. He'll see your rawness. He'll see your vulnerability. And if he's a good guy, he's going to hold that space and he's going to hold your heart and he's going to hold that and respect that. Um, if he's not a good guy, if he shuts that down, then you have your answer and you know that, okay, if he's this avoidant to talk about this, we're never going to be able to get through having kids together, having a long-term relationship together. And I would get out as soon as you can. Okay. So this points to us eventually talking about attachments styles. And before we do, I'm curious if you could briefly just loop everybody in. Like, why are you a matchmaker? What was your journey with love that brought you here? Because this is such a fascinating career path. Um, You know, almost as fascinating as the other day, me me meeting a taste tester. (laughs) A taste tester for what? For a granola bar company. I was like, well, that sounds like a great time. Wow, that (laughs) would be an amazing job. I think it almost competes with being a matchmaker. I know. Um, He's crushing it, but obviously so are you. So I'm so curious what got you here. Yeah, I think I was, I think I was destined to be a matchmaker. I've always been very curious about why people do what they do. Um, I grew up with a mother as a therapist, so always kind of diagnosing people and understanding, um, the reasons behind people's actions. Um, but at 16 years old, I found myself in an incredibly emotionally abusive relationship. And I was in that for three and a half years. Um, that was my first experience of love. And when I got out of that relationship, I I promised myself, I never want another woman to go through this. It was so painful. I was so young. Um, and I was, you know, I was imprinted that, that really affected me in a lot of different ways. So I went on my way. I didn't date for five years. Um, really kind of found myself in undergrad, Um, I doubled in psych and business, and then I worked in recruiting for many years in New York, and then I found this this company called Three Day Roll, and I became a matchmaker for them, and the job description was literally to become best friends with your clients, get to know them, work with them, build their confidence back up, and then match them successfully. So I've been a matchmaker for the past four years. I think it's my calling. I absolutely love it. Um, But I've also realized that with a lot of my clients specifically, 
we can find their match. We can find the parameters of, of what they're looking for in a romantic partner, but oftentimes they don't keep that relationship um, because they haven't done the work on themselves. Um, so if, if someone's looking for someone who works out five times a week, loves his job, um, and goes to church, then I ask her, okay, what's your work at regiment? They're like, oh, I don't really work out. And I'm like, okay, what's your job like? And they're like, oh, I don't love my job. I kind of hate my job. And I'm like, okay, do you go to church? And they're like, no. So I realized, okay, we, we've got to make you be attractive to the type of guy you want to find. So recently I've segued into coaching women um, on how to build up that confidence and how to become the most, the most authentic version of themselves so that they can attract the most authentic relationship. Beautiful. Okay. And well, has there been any, um, you know, beyond the emotional abuse in your teens, what was your journey like with finding love or what did you learn about yourself that you think was the biggest gem for everybody listening? Um, that's such a good question. So my journey was pretty typical to a lot of women. So it's most women I see have a pattern in their past relationships. Um, and whether that pattern starts from their experience with their family and their upbringing and that identification of love or from their first real relationship from their first love. So my pattern was, you know, I stayed in an emotionally abusive relationship for way too long. Um, I didn't date for another five years after I got out of that. The next guy I met, um, was the same. Um, and I, I didn't realize he was the same kind of emotional abusive type until I was about a year and a half in. Oh. Uh, yeah. And I stayed in that too for about two and a half years. Um, so we tend to attract that same pain that we've been through, um, because it's comfortable. This is so um, juicy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we imprint that uh, re- literally, on, on our own body. Um, so we're used to habits. We're comfortable with habits. And so that's why I was attracted to that guy, even though he was presented in a different box, he looked different. I thought he was a completely different type of guy. I thought I had learned so much, but in reality, I had attracted that same pain that I had before and tried to fix it. So when I finally got out of that is when I read a book called attached by Amir Levine. Love it. Um, yeah. And, and that's where I really learned about attachment styles. And that's when I diagnosed myself with having an anxious attachment style and and diagnosed the the men that I had dated with having an avoidant attachment style. Um, And and that's when I really changed and saw what I needed in a relationship, which was much different than I had ever experienced. Um, And I got on the dating apps like everyone else, even though I'm a matchmaker. And and that was nice because I was able to empathize with my own clients on what dating is like today, how hard it is, how many weirdos you meet. And I actually met my current boyfriend on Hinge, the dating app. Amazing. Um, Yeah. And that was an amazing relationship too, because I would have honestly probably never been initially attracted to him because he's extremely secure, as sad as that sounds, Mm. um, because I was so attracted to the avoidant. I was so attracted to the hard to get, the you have to work hard to get at the game, the on and off. Mm. Um, But my current boyfriend was very secure. And after reading that book and learning about different attachment styles, I identified him as that. And I knew, okay, this feels weird. I don't feel that insane kind of uh, lust and craziness, but man, am I attracted to who he is and his values and what he offers and how he treats me. Um, And now it's the most deep love I've ever experienced. Wow. I love that. And I actually was just at a wellness conference and they did a panel on relationships and 
there was like a senior researcher from Bumble there. And she was kind of like what we all visualize as like a senior researcher. Like she had like the whole look going and she was very official. And I could tell that she has done a shitload of research on dating. And <laughs> she basically explained the past two years, one out of three people have found their partner on a dating app. Um, and that to me is really inspiring. And I think a lot of people are like maybe intimidated by that. But to me, there's such an inspiration to being able to access people you otherwise would have never met before and have some level of preferences before you even connect with them. So that's inspiring that you yourself have experienced that. And I'm so curious to kind of get a little more in. And I know about the book Attached and those of you listening, what an amazing book to read. Um, but before we get into that, I'm so curious, going back to like, why do we attract the same types of people? And I know it has to do with your attachment style, but I know it also has to do with your imprint. So maybe your dad didn't pay attention to you and you're used to men who don't pay attention to you. Or maybe you had an emotionally abusive relationship and that was what imprinted you on what love is. So what is it about why we keep attracting the same types of people? Because God knows the same types of men are always coming into my life. And somehow they just get here. We don't know. And I'm so curious for everybody listening, if they start to notice like, wow, all of these matches that don't work for me are coming in and they're the same. Yeah, for sure. So oftentimes ourselves, we are the worst at picking our own partners. Um, and that's a true fact. So what I try to do as a matchmaker and as a coach, when I meet new clients is we talk about their upbringing and what that communication style was between their parents and their parents to themselves. And that love style, was it a little bit distant and more practical and more business oriented? Was it unconditionally loving? Was it too loving? Was it too much? Um, but ultimately research has now shown that we choose our partners because of our childhood programming. Um, and that can either be again from our parents and that first experience of love or from a first intimate experience of love. So think the thing that you never got when we were young, when you were young, you're probably going to choose someone who won't give you that. And then you get to play it out again. Wait, and explain try that a little bit more. Time. One more time. So the thing you got when you were young, can yeah. you talk that a bit? So, so the, think the one thing that you never got when you were young. So say, for example, your dad was distant and worked a lot, or maybe your mother passed away. Um, you'll always kind of feel that void and that pain. So what you'll do in adult relationships is you're, you're going to try to choose someone who also won't give you that. Um, so say your mother passed away, you'll try to find a, a partner or your father passed away. You'll try to find a man, um, that is distant, that, that can't give you that love that, that isn't really available. Cause your mm -hmm. dad was ultimately distant if he had passed away at a young age. And then you get to play out that scenario again and try to gain that power back, try to attract him, try to control him, try to make sure he's going to be there. So we literally try to form them into this space where they're doing the, the thing that, that, that was absent before. Okay. So I know everybody listening has heard me many a time talk about when I was a little kid, my dad losing all of his money and being completely in a panic most of the time. Um, such a good dad, such a funny man, and to this day, completely out of control human in a funny way. But when I was a kid, I didn't get his presence. And even as an adult, he's on his phone quite a bit. You know, it's like we're at dinner and his head's down in his phone or looking at something. So I have tended to attract the kind of men who are a little bit different than him. They're a lot more sleek and polished 
They look very like GQ magazine and they're not as emotionally available, which my dad wasn't, you know, emotionally available to me because he was panicking. So I'm curious for anybody who's trying to unpack this. I'm looking at my own in hopes that maybe other people can kind of look at their dad or their first love. And why is it that it's your first love or your parents? Like, why isn't it one or the other? So in terms of that, from my own example, I grew up in a family of very unconditional love, just constant all the time, secure. I always felt safe. So, so you'd think that I'd be able to be in relationships where they were very secure and have no problem. But the reason why it's either your upbringing with your family or your first love is because that's at, at such a young age, that's when you're most um, imprinted upon um, and, and you're very impressionable. So, so that's why it can be either or. But in yeah. terms of your experience with your dad, um, what's happening there is these men that you're dating are, are packaged in, in different wrapping paper. And so they might look different than your dad. They might act different than your dad. But ultimately, the way that you crave to be loved, what your heart is really wanting and yearning for, is someone who is present. And that's exactly why you're attracted to the guy who isn't able to give you that present um, presence. He might be working a lot or very focused on a book he's writing or his career um, or his family or his travels. Um, so you're going to really be attracted to that because that's comfortable to you. That's mm. what's been imprinted upon you. Um, and that's what you understand and define as love. Anything else, someone who is really available to you right now might seem overwhelming. Oh <laughs> might seem gosh. like, oh God, he's too much. Like he's never going to be able to protect me because um, he's all over me. You know, he doesn't even have a backbone. Um, <laughs> oh my God. I feel like I've said some like version of that in my head, but it's, or, or I'll find that I'm like, they're totally available. And I'm like, gosh, they're kind of boring. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, that's exactly why it's so good to define exactly what you, what you want in a relationship, the values that you're looking for and what's going to make you feel excited and attracted to that person. Um, because when you do that pragmatically, when you do that, um, as a tool before you actually meet the guy, then you'll be able to see it in the person. Um, mm. and, and even though you, it might seem boring and it's not on and off and you don't have to strive to make him interested in spending time with you, you'll realize the value in, but he does have this work ethic and he does have this humor and he does have this lifestyle. Those are the, my three top must-haves in a partner. So I'm going to keep going and it'll probably be a slow-burning flame. But that's exactly what a good relationship is. Okay. And I think attachment styles are so fascinating. I read the book Attached as well. And I, I literally ate that book for breakfast. Like I think I read it <laughs> in one morning. And so I'm so curious to hear from you. And, and since I've read it as well, for everybody listening, whether you're in a relationship, whether you're single, your attachment style matters. So could you tell everybody and loop them in on what are the four attachment styles that the book covers? Yeah. So the number, the first attachment style is a secure attachment style. Um, and, and when it comes to attachment styles, this is how you relate to a partner in a relationship. And just so everyone knows, this can change. Um, in one relationship, you might have one attachment style. In a different relationship, you might have another one. Even on a day-to-day -day basis, this can change. But everyone has one dominant attachment style. So you all heard me explain my experience of love causing me to have an anxious atta attachment style. Um, but my current relationship, I've now created a more secure attachment style because my partner has a secure attachment style. So the first attachment style is a secure attachment style. That's the one everyone should strive for. That is the most healthy type of relationship. Um, you have a great advantage in love. 
Um, so this type of person feels comfortable going to their partner when something is off. You give your partner absolute freedom. Um, people tend to have honest, open, and equal relationships. Um, on, on the flip side with a secure attachment style, there still can be conflict and bad days and you can still fight. That is completely normal. Um, but what sets people apart with a secure attachment style is their higher emotional intelligence um, that helps them communicate their feelings effectively rather than attacking their partners and saying that their partners is doing something wrong. One of the things that I found really interesting is that, and obviously you guys can probably sense this as we're talking is we're about to dive into the less secure attachment style since there's only <laughs> one secure attachment style. And what I found was so interesting about the book is that research indicates that if you have an insecure attachment style, and we'll go into what those look like, that if you are with somebody who has a secure attachment style, you, they're like a buffer zone and you're more likely to become securely attached and change your way of attaching to people and attaching to your relationships to become more secure. So it's not only incredible for you to receive somebody who's securely attached, but it's incredible to change as a person and become more secure within yourself because you're with somebody that has that kind of effect on you. So that's cool. Exactly. And that's, that's exactly what happened to me in my current relationship. I'm so thankful for him for that. But the sad part is, especially with women in, in today's society, um, they're not normally attracted to the secure guy. Um, oftentimes we are attracted to the push pull and, and trying to make that man love you. And again, that goes back to our first experience of, of, of love in, in our upbringing or in our first experience of a relationship. Um, but also society really, how many songs are about, getting him back or how to get the guy or movies about, you know, the, the one rule that you finally get to change the guy and he's perfect for you. It feels almost extra special to be attracted to someone who is hard to get and then make you make them love you. Um, but my biggest piece of, of advice for women is that a cat doesn't change its stripes. You're never going to make him love you as much as you try and as much as he might be seeming to change. Um, it's so much easier to go after the guy who is secure um, and isn't playing games. And who knows so. how to love you? Yeah. And, and I, you know, I'm learning like commitment and loving somebody. It's a skill and it's not one that everybody has cultivated fully. And looking at the other attachment styles, could you kind of do an overview for everybody listening so that they can self identify which one they probably are? Completely. So the other attachment style, um, is an anxious attachment style. So this type of person tends to romanticize love because it's easier for them to form a fantasy bond with someone instead of something based off of a reality. Um, so even if they are in a bit of a distant relationship or they're in a physically long distance relationship, they, they tend to be okay with it and they tend to be happy because they're able to tell themselves in their own brain, this is good and this is perfect and they can post perfect pictures on social media. Um, but really, this is oftentimes a fantasy, um, and, and they tend to be attracted to partners that they can save. So they tend to be attracted to men who are a little bit distant or who have some emotional baggage, um, or they also tend to be the type of person that wants to be saved. Um, so either or is pretty common for someone who's anxious. Um, oftentimes, they're demanding in a relationship. They're obsessive. They're clingy. Um, and most ultimately they, they mistake turbulent relationships for passion. Uh. So they think when they break up and then get back together, that is because that is the biggest, truest love they've ever had. It's so extreme. And, and that can actually trick our brains too. It's kind of like the love is a drug thing. Um, that's when we feel that extreme passion, even though it's, it's not healthy at all. And we know, 
um, cognitively, it's not healthy, but in our heart, we feel like it's true passion. Mm. Um, and these type of people can struggle from insecurities, low self-esteem, um, and the inability to establish a strong sense of self. So that's why listening to Ashley's podcast about confidence and um, going to seminars about just being authentically you is so important for someone who's anxious because the stronger that you are in yourself, the less anxious you'll be. It's so interesting. I, when I think of somebody who's anxiously attached, I just think of someone who spends a lot of time thinking about their relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I was coaching a girl this morning, actually. She has gone out with this guy three times now um, and they just had sex and it was all good. And he was giving her, you know, all these confidence boosters. Oh, I feel so connected with you. It's so easy with you. So simple. Um, and now he's gone a little bit cold oh. and a little bit distant. Yeah. So she's like, what do I do? And my biggest piece of advice there was, you know, they have a date planned. She was the one who asked for it and he seemed a little bit aloof and preoccupied with something else but he said sure i can go so already she's freaking out oh come on and i said (laughs) sure focus on something that you're really passionate about um so for someone specifically who's anxious you have to ground yourself if you love yoga do yoga every day that week um if you love business dive into your business um and this isn't something to completely distract yourself from everything but distract yourself from overanalyzing that relationship because that guy is going to feel your energy. He's going to feel that anxiety. Um, and that's going to make him run as far away as he can because men really don't like to hold on um, to other people's emotions if, if they're not secure. Wow. That is so interesting. And so for those of you listening, if you're wondering what your attachment style is, I would say Secure is for the people who are comfortable with intimacy and comfortable with the emotional conversations and comfortable holding space for one another. Anxious are the people who are thinking a lot about their relationships, worried a lot about their relationship and trying to save somebody um, and fantasizing. And by the way, one thing you touched on, Nora, was what I would say I've read about in a journal uh, like a scientific journal called a trauma bond, that those high highs and those low lows actually have an impact on your brain, right? And they create all this dopamine. And by the way, I could be butchering the science here, but I know that this <laughs> is the essence of it, that it creates all of this dopamine and a whole chemical feedback loop in your brain that creates that trauma bond where it's almost like your body is physically reacting on a chemical level to the high highs and the low lows where it actually becomes addictive, Completely. Oh, yeah. It's it's just like a drug. Um, and that's exactly why people always say nice guys finish last, because if you've had any type of trauma in your, again, family upbringing or relationships, and trauma doesn't have to be something extreme. It can be as simple as your father was a little bit avoidant or a little bit busy with what's going on. Um, that can be trauma as well. And so that's exactly why you're bonded and attracted to someone who has similar qualities, even when they're presented differently. Um, that's what you define as love. And that's what's imprinted in your dopamine, in your brain as, oop, ding, this just went off. This is attraction. This is excitement. This is love. Um, so, so that's a very hard cycle to go into. But after learning about these styles, attachment styles, um, oftentimes we're able to get out of that cycle. Um, and even though that first relationship with someone secure might seem a little bit more boring or a little bit just not as exciting or not as deep of love, trust me, trust me, trust me, it will become so much more deep of a love once you actually go out after five dates, six dates, seven dates, and actually get to know the person's spirit and their character and respect that and love that. 
I'm also curious for everybody listening. So, okay, so maybe you're not feeling like you're secure. Maybe intimacy feels like a lot for you. Maybe you're not feeling anxious. Maybe you don't worry a lot about relationships. So what is the other two types of attachment styles for everybody listening? Yeah. So the next two are avoidant attachment styles. Um, and there's two different types of avoidance. The first is avoidant dismissive. Um, so these people tend to be emotionally distant in relationships, but in terms of the way society sees them, they actually seem very successful, um, because they come across as very self-sufficient, independent. Um, they're oftentimes successful. A lot of CEOs are, are quite avoidant dismissive, um, because they've had to do everything on their own. It's a one man show. Mm. Um, but in intimate relationships, they can oftentimes avoid true, deep intimacy and fill that void with other things like sex. Um, so someone who's avoidant dismissive can oftentimes have a very sexual relationship with their partner. And the woman can see, think, wow, we're so connected. We have sex three times a day. But in reality, they're filling that void from, from being able to be emotionally attached to you with something physical. Um, this can oftentimes also be in an excitement for you guys both really like to talk about your careers and you really connect on that level. That's amazing. But if he's not able to connect with you about his emotions and what he's feeling, if all you guys talk about is work, um, again, that's a, a good sign that he's trying to avoid that deeper intimacy um, and push himself away from being um, completely vulnerable with you. Okay. So funny. I was listening to you talk about CEOs who are emotionally avoidant. And I'm like, girl, I've been there. I know all about those. God, sex three times a day. That sounds like a yeast infection. Okay. <laughs> oh well, good for them. But it's, it's, it's pretty common. I, I hear a lot of women say, well, we're just, I, you know, I, I feel sad and I don't feel connected to my partner, but I know we are because we have sex this often. Um, and, I, and I always say, you know, for a woman, sex is something that can make you feel connected. But for a man, it's really easy for them to shut off their emotions and act like they don't care. And that sex is, is truly just a physical thing. But in reality, that's, you know, being able to shut off your emotions and, and not need to connect to someone on an intimate level is an illusion um, because humans need connection in order to survive. So the avoidant dismissive has very few close relationships with others. Um, and, and that's another sign to be able to, to realize Oof, he might be avoidant. So sorry for the quick interruption, but I want to make sure you know that this episode has been brought to you by the Career Clarity Lab, the online course to help you find your career purpose in the workforce and upgrade your confidence. So if you're ready to unlock the best career path for you and you'd like to try a free version of our Clarity course, just head on over to uturnpodcast.com slash clarity. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com slash clarity. Now let's get back to this week's episode. And um, what is the final type of, uh, and by the way, I love that we say he, because we're kind of like, but I know a lot of girls who are avoidant as well. So fun disclaimer for everybody. And what's the final type, Nora? Yeah, exactly. Um, So the final type is an avoidant who is more fearful. So this type of person fears both being too close or too distant from their, their partner. Um, and that can make them really unpredictable. This is oftentimes the personality that an anxious attachment style would probably be attracted to the most um, because it's off and on, it's up and down. One week, they are so into you. You guys are planning a trip together. You feel so connected. And the next week, 
Um, they're hardly responding to your texts. You're super confused. You don't know where they went or where their head's at, but you're trying to fix it. And then you get more anxious. So, so they, they oftentimes have a struggle, an internal struggle, um, between being abandoned, um, and being confident in their partner and relying on their partner. So when they get too close to either of those spectrums, um, they kind of freak out and and internalize everything. And what is that type called? Avoidant fearful avoidant fearful okay that sounds like a a real shit storm for everybody yeah kind of the the hurricane between someone who's anxious and and someone who's avoidant okay and for everybody listening i remember reading a study around this um and i'm sure nora you remember the same one and they did it about babies and how babies behave when their mom leaves the room and for the secure baby the mom would leave the room the baby would cry the mom would return and the baby would be happy And then for the anxious baby, I remember reading that the baby would cry. And then when the mom returned, the baby would throw a tantrum and cry harder. And then I also read that when the avoidant baby had the mom come back in the room, so when the mom left, it would cry. And when the mom came back, it would show no response, like a non-responsive. But here's what was so fascinating to me about what I read, was that there was very similar brainwave activity in the avoidant baby and in the anxious baby, meaning like your body chemistry is going haywire pretty much in the same way, but externally it's looking different, which I found so interesting. Um, I don't know what you have to say about this stuff, Nora, but I found it so fascinating. And I thought it'd be interesting to ask you, Nora, like what is the healing opportunity for each of these attachment styles? So if you're secure, you know, thumbs up, go keep being secure. Good for you guys. (laughs) But what about the anxious person, the avoidant dismissive, and the avoidant fearful person? Yeah. So in terms of the the study with the babies, that's so true. You have such a good memory. (laughs) Um, And the most interesting part about that is is that's why oftentimes someone who's anxious is attracted to someone who's avoidant and vice versa, um, because they have similar fears and anxieties. They just express them in different ways. Um, so, So a way to heal from that, especially if you are someone who's anxious or avoidant, is to understand that polarity is attractive. That's why men are attracted to women and vice versa um, most of the time because men are are, are most dominantly masculine and women are most dominantly feminine. Um, And if if we were exactly the same, that would be the case of having a best friend. And most people don't want to have sex with their best friend. So there is a beauty in that difference um, and and in the difference of, of being a little bit more anxious and a little bit more avoidant. Um, it's, it's fine to be that way, but you have to define it. If you are running around without defining it, you are running around letting your subconscious control everything in your life. And that is a really scary thing um, because you're not living true to yourself and you're not living in control of yourself. Mm. So the first step to healing is to look at these four different attachment styles, define which one you actually are. Um, I actually have a quiz on my website that you can take to help define which one you are if you don't already know from this discussion. Um, And then working through that and being very vocal about that. So next time you are in a relationship, explaining that and saying, look, these have been my tendencies in the past. I just want you to know that. Um, And so the next time you're in a fight, bring that up again and don't blame it. Don't use it as a crutch. Don't say, oh yeah, I was crazy because I'm anxious. Use it as, man, I'm really working through this and I want you to know about this. Um, But I also want to take full responsibility for this and know that next time this happens, I'm even further along the path of of getting past this and not letting this control me in a subconscious way. Mm. Um, So that's some tools to help. Mm, Beautiful. And 
Um, I know that we had talked a little bit about the key ingredients to finding a compatible relationship. This has been such a rich discussion. Oh, and by the way, fun fact for those of you listening, whether you're single or you're in a relationship, I read that while 50% of people are um, securely, like they have a secure attachment style, and then the rest of the population is broken into the avoidant and um, the other avoidant and then the anxious. What's funny, I've also read is that, okay, so I think it's like 25% of people are avoidantly attached. Yeah. But I've read that more than half of the dating population is avoidant. And the reason is because most of the securely attached people are busy off being securely attached. <laughs> so, so when you're in the dating pool, you're coming up against um, a blend of people who, are, of course, are securely attached, people who are anxiously attached, and an uh, unusual amount of people who are avoidantly attached. That's why they're yeah. still in the dating pool. So... So interesting and also relevant for my next question again, which is what are those key steps everybody listening can take right now, whether they're married and they're asking these big questions to themselves. Like I have a couple of friends who are married and if they listen to this, they're going to have a mental breakdown, which is all good. Breakdown, breakthrough. Uh, you guys know who you are. You'll call me after this. <laughs> um, but I'm curious, what are a few steps everybody can take to kind of get that clarity on the right compatible relationship and how to find that or whether they're in that? Yeah. So when I'm working with my clients, I, I break it down into uh, you literally everyone who's listening, take out a pen and a paper. That's what Ashley talked about in the beginning, um, because you have to write this down. You cannot keep this in your head. Um, we think 60 to 70,000 thoughts a day and 90% of those thoughts are repeated the next day. It's going to drive you nuts to go back and forth or what it, on what you're looking for, especially in today's dating society where we're on Bumble and we're swiping right on 30 guys a day. That's so confusing to remember what you're looking for. So what I do with every single client in our first meeting is we actually define what you're looking for. So I don't know, Ashley, if you want to do this with me right now, this oh might help gosh. you in your dating in your dating scheme, but um, I'd, I'd love to know what your top three must-haves are in a partner. So, okay. And that can be, those are really big things. That can be if religion matters to you at all, if work ethic or drive or their career matters to you, um, if their family or, or a future family, if you want kids matters to you. Um, these are big qualities that you must have in a future partner. Okay. So everybody listening, step one, what are the top must haves? The top three. Okay. So I would say be I, three to five, but okay, good. I usually try to dumb it down to three. Okay. Um, I definitely want to have a family, so they have to want to have kids or it's just not even going to happen. Also, I don't know if this is more in the realm of deal breakers because to me, like I can't deal with somebody who's super religious because I'm really spiritually open. So I don't know if it's a must have that they're spiritually open or just a deal breaker if they're super religious. Do you know what I mean? Totally. So that would be a deal breaker. So, so what we'll do right now, so everyone knows kind of bigger picture of what I'm doing with Ashley is we'll do her top three to five must haves in a partner, her top three to five like to haves, and then her top three to five deal breakers. So if it's a negative, um, so if you don't want someone who's religious, that's going to be a deal breaker um, versus a positive. You want someone who wants kids. That's going to be a must have. Okay. This is so interesting. I would say another must have is humor. Like, I don't know if it's humor or just easygoing where they can have a laugh. They don't, I'm pretty, I don't, you know, if I don't say so myself, Nora, I'm pretty funny. So <laughs> I think I just need somebody that isn't going to look at me all kind of disengaged, if that makes sense. Yeah. Or if they so need to be funny. Be, 
that's energy. Um, yeah, like and, and keep humor up. is so important. Whenever I'm matching two people up, I, I always ask their, ask their humor style because everyone has different humor. Um, but what you just described is more of a lighthearted, being able to laugh at yourself when you mess up, that type of humor. Yeah. Um, some other people really want like this dry, witty, sarcastic humor. And not that you don't appreciate that. Um, but, but the type of humor you just described is more of an energy of the way he holds himself. So not taking life too seriously. Yeah, exactly. Whenever I meet somebody, I've been on a couple, been out with like surgeons before and like, I don't know what it is with those, those two in particular, but I was just like, wow, they are so serious. Like everything feels very life or death right now here at the pizzeria. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Right. Do we want the pepperoni or do we want the cheese? We have to decide. I know. Um, <laughs> no, that's super important. And, and that's, that's really great that you already know that about yourselves because about yourself, because a lot of people have a hard time putting that into words. And that's why this practice is so helpful. Um, because what you just described with that surgeon, he's going to be a better fit with someone who's a little bit more serious, Oof. a little bit more pragmatic and, and constantly kind of just on a, on an energy level. That's a little bit lower than someone who's a little bit more goofy and playful and likes to dance and likes to play. Um, you're going to be attracted to someone who has that energy a little bit higher. Okay. Well, and then I would also say, somebody who has their career in order, like, because I've career coached for so long, I feel like I can fix somebody's career. And so it's just like the worst energy if somebody comes in and they're like, I'm trying to figure this out. And I'm like, let me do it for you. No problem. So that's huge too. And that's so important. Men, specifically men, um, are, are very linear. They think of one thing at a time. And I always say men have a red light or a green light in terms of being ready for a relationship. Women, we always have a green light. We love love. We love companionship. We can do multiple things at the same time. We can build our career and have a very deep relationship. But men, most men are unable to connect on a deep level until they've got their shit together with their career. Mm-hmm. Um, but another thing you touched on is is when someone kind of needs you. So the number one thing that women want a relation women want in a relationship is to feel protected, is to feel safe. That's why we generally are attracted to kind of more of a masculine energy that's going to walk on the side of the street that the cars are on and, and make you feel protected. Um, the number one thing that men want in a relationship is to feel needed, is to feel like the woman needs them for some 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 reason to again to feel safe. Um, so what happened in in that explanation of a guy who doesn't know what he's doing with his career, and you are specifically a career coach, is that he needs you, and those roles are reversed. And so that's when you feel you know, you might emasculate him a little bit and you feel very uneasy because that's not your natural tendency. Um, in the same way that if someone was a producer and they were dating an actor, um, that would feel off because the actor might need that producer's help. Um, you never want to be in a relationship where, where you actually need their help. Um, and the roles are reversed. Yeah. Yeah. That was why I called off my wedding to somebody who I was with for five years. Great guy. I just felt like I needed to step in too often. And I think it created a lack of safety on my side. That's interesting. And then also I think attraction, which I think is really interesting to ask you about here, because I think everybody listening will, while they have their pen out with me here right now, it's like Ashley figuring out her life with everybody on U-Turn podcasts, but (laughs) you know, the top three must haves, it's like attraction feels like such a given must have. And I've found my relationship with being attracted to somebody to be really confusing because sometimes I'm like, wow, if they're amazing and I think they're like, I'm not attracted to them, but maybe I could be. Um, but I found that those always end up kind of disappointing me and it's either there or it's not the moment they walk in the room. What is your thought on that? 
Yeah, no, that's, I'm so happy you touched on that because it's really interesting when I said, okay, so what are your top three must-haves? You didn't even bring up attraction. Um, And the interesting thing is that I talk and I work with both men and women, and a lot of women get in their head that men just want the hottest thing that they can get, and that is not true. In four years of doing this, I have asked every man I've worked with, so what are your top three must-haves? And the number one must-have that they say they want in a woman is someone who's confident. Um, and then they go on to things, someone who's passionate about what she does, someone who's loving and kind. Those are normally the top three things that men ask for. They don't even bring up attraction either because attraction as important as it is. And it of course has to be there. Um, it's going to be so much more fulfilled when they have those other top three values. Um, so at the end of the day, if you are talking to someone and you're just so not attracted to him, it's, it's never going to happen. So don't push yourself to marry someone that you have absolutely no physical attraction to. Um, but at the same time, don't, the hard thing about online dating is that we swipe left just from a photo. So I really advise people to swipe right on more people um, and then stalk them. Look on Instagram, look on social media, check out what they do for a living and how they are with their friends and what they do on a, a Saturday. Do they drink a lot or are they going to kind of self-betterment uh, things on the weekend? So those type of things are going to make you feel more or less attracted to someone um, as long as you have that initial, okay, he's, he's okay, Um, give it a shot and see if he has those other values. This is so good. Okay. So now that I know, now that I have four, which is like kids, easygoing, career success, attraction, like from there, you were saying the next step for everybody who has their notepad out is to give their top three would like to have. Yes. Okay. So these are kind of, they can seem easier and, and they can oftentimes seem silly, but these are ones that, you know, I hear a lot of women say, I'd like to have someone who's six foot plus, and that's great. Um, so you can put that in like to have, or some people say, I'd like to have someone who salsa dances, if you salsa dance, or I'd like to have someone who surfs. Those are all great things and definitely focus on those. Don't ignore those or act like those don't matter. But if you're dating someone and he has your top three to five must haves, but he doesn't surf, uh, that's going to be something that you can say, okay, well, you know, he, he, that's a like to have. And, um, although he doesn't have it, God, I'm still really attracted to him because he has these top five must haves. Um, like to haves can also change, um, with how you change in one season of your life, you might be really into hiking. And then the next season of your life, you might be really into traveling. Um, so these are, are things that are, are nice to have, but don't need to be in the relationship. Okay, got it. So I would say this is actually really challenging. This is to me the hardest one. And for anybody listening, I wonder if it's the same for them because I think it's easy to be like, I have to have this. And then it's harder to be like, these would be nice because there's a lot of things that would be nice, you know? Mm-hmm. And you can make this list long. There's no rules for this. The, the biggest reason why I do this is is the same way when someone is trying to figure out what they're doing for, with their career and you ask them, well, what do you like to do? What are you best at? And, and they don't know. Um, then it's impossible to know what career they should go for. Same thing with dating. If, if you don't know what you want, it's going to be hard to find. Um, and that's why online dating is so difficult because we swipe right, we go on the first date, and we're like, yeah, it was, it was nice. And then it fizzles out because you don't even know what you're looking for. So this can be as long as you want it to be. Okay, got it. So this one feels kind of like a free-for-all. So I can just put anything, like a generous person, somebody who likes yeah. personal development. Okay, great. 
Yeah. And then as far and how, but how do you narrow that down? I guess it's just, you know, everything beyond the top three or five non-negotiables are just treats at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would recommend people just like free for all, write it down so you can get it out there and actually start to mentally idealize what an ideal person is for you. Um, because again, it's, it's hard to describe a fictitious person. And so oftentimes what we do is go backwards and start to think about an ex and think, well, my ex did this, so I liked this. And then you think you're attracted to those same qualities, get that out of your head and just really freely write what we, you would like to have in a relationship. Um, and then you can kind of, you can try to number them. So you can go between one and two and say, if my partner is, is always into surfing, but never likes to hike does that bother you? And then you'll realize, okay, shit, hiking is more important to me than surfing. So I'll put the hiking higher than the surfing. Yeah. This is actually really funny because I took note that your final thing for everybody to write down in these three steps. So step one, top three to five deal breakers must have, or no, sorry, must haves. Step two, um, the top three would like to have, and you could write everything down and then rank it. And then step three, you said the top three deal breakers. And ironically, one of my deal breakers, this is so funny, is like somebody who's really into adventure. Like, Amazing. That's so helpful, though, that you know that about yourself. Like, I'm like, I don't want to ski and go quadding and like skydiving like or scuba. <laughs> like, that sounds like my worst nightmare. Like, those guys who can't seem to relax. So I'm sure everybody, maybe they have a different take on this. Um, but I'm curious, like, how do we get started with this? Because sometimes it feels petty to be like, that's a deal breaker, you know? But that's. Yeah, no, that's exactly why this, this practice is so helpful. And it's so helpful to do it on your own by yourself, um, where you're not judged by other people. So Ashley, I know this is a little, I know I'm like, well, you know, (laughs) about 30,000 people judging this, this month, no problem. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but, but that's exactly why this is so helpful for everyone who's listening to actually write it down in, in a quiet place by yourself. Um, because what you just said is really true to you, who you are and what you like to do for fun and, and how you spend your time. Um, I met a man yesterday that I'm working with that one of his top threes was adventure, was someone who says yes to everything, who will uh, go on a trip tomorrow to Cambodia and go skydiving. Um, so that's definitely not your guy. Not I'll go that. on the trip and stay in the hotel room. No problem. <laughs> and she's like, I'll stay at the Ritz. Yeah. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> so, so that's, that's really great that you know that oftentimes deal breakers are lifestyle things. So again, religion, politics, how you spend your time drinking or not drinking drugs or not drugs, spending time with family or not spending time with family, spending time with friends or not spending time with friends. Um, this is oftentimes those, those kind of lifestyle things that make someone compatible with someone else. Great. Okay. So somebody writes all of these things down, but here's what I found is that people will be like, this guy's amazing. You know, like I'll have a friend, I'll be like, how's that going with that new guy? And they're like, he's amazing except for this one thing. And the one thing is like kind of a big fucking deal. So they'll be like, he's amazing except for his anger problem. And I'm like, that's like saying he's amazing except for every cell of his DNA that is duplicated with this in all of his bloodstream. Like, how do you, so what are your recommendations for, cause I know that everybody listening right now, they're writing down their non-negotiables, including me. Uh, you know, there must haves, that's a much better way to say it, I guess. And, but every now and again, there's something that you didn't know was a deal breaker or I I don't know, maybe it's not a deal breaker, but it's a huge pain in the ass and you're not happy. I don't know. How do you figure that out? So that kind of goes back to what we were talking about initially in our conversation is that we tend to be attracted to traumas that we've had in the past. 
um, without realizing it. And we oftentimes tend to be the worst judge for if a partner is right for us. So that's when it comes to have, to have good friends um, or working with a relationship coach because relationships are really hard. It's really hard to define if this is right or if this is wrong. And everyone gets rose-colored glasses. So everyone gets excited and sees all of the positives, but uh, he sometimes lashes out on me and is really mean, but it's only once a week. Um, so, so that's when you can work with a coach or, or talk to friends, but I usually recommend talking to someone who's, who's a little bit more of a professional in this sense, um, to figure out why you're okay with disrespecting yourself in that way. Mm. Um, the hard part about dating is everyone does go into dating a little bit fearful, um, so that when they are with someone, they hold onto it, even if it's shitty, um, because they're scared of, of the unknown in going back into the dating world. No one wants to go back on the dating apps. Um, but I always tell people, if you're single, you are two steps ahead of the person who's in a shitty relationship. The person who's in a shitty relationship, one has to define that they're in a bad relationship. Two has to get out of it and emotionally heal, which takes a lot of time. And then three is single and has to start dating again. So the person who's single, be confident in that, believe in that, and be proud of yourself for being single and not settling um, because you're really so many steps ahead of someone who might be married and in a really bad relationship. So good. Final question is, you know, what are some interesting, because what I've gathered from listening to you and other relationship experts we brought on the show is that sometimes when you find the right thing, it doesn't always feel as quote unquote right as all the other wounded attractions might feel. Exactly. You know, cause we've been wounded by our upbringing in some way if we haven't looked at it and we're playing something out. And so the feeling of playing something out, I've heard a lot in personal development, the stronger the attraction, the bigger the wound. Yeah. And I love that. I'm so curious from your standpoint, you know, how do we show up with new people or in our relationship and figure out when it's right versus wrong. Because for example, I'll meet somebody new and they have all the things and I'm bored, but they're a really good looking guy. I'm attracted to the guy, but it's like, uh, this feels like medium. I want steam. I want passion. And then I'm like, wait a minute, is this wounded? Am I just going back to my old ways? So how do we figure out that line of like, this is the good kind of new and we feel different about this guy. And it doesn't, we can't tell if it's good, different or bad, different, but it feels different. And sometimes people will interpret that and say, I don't think I should keep dating him. I'm not excited enough about him. So how do we navigate that? Yeah. So in in terms of that, I want everyone to remember that what's different, what we're not used to is going to be uncomfortable no matter what. So remember that when you're, you're dating someone and he's wooing you over and he's so sexually amazing and everything's amazing. Oftentimes that's because he's amazing with every girl he's with. Um, so don't get tricked by that. Um, and don't get, get caught up in that and thinking that that off and on or very intense sex or intense love is, is perfect because oftentimes there's a bit of a red flag with that. Um, I do think that the slow burning flame is more powerful because you're being more intentional about who you're dating. So if you are dating someone and you're like, oh, like everything seems right. He's cute. I'm attracted to him, but I'm just bored. Go back to this list that we just made today and look at your top five must haves. Does he have them? 
Um, and this guy that you were talking to, he might not have that lighthearted playfulness that you're really attracted to. That might be the identifying factor that you've been missing that you know is somewhere in your brain and you can feel it, but you're not able to identify it. When you go back to this list, you'll see it right there written out. So mm. keep this list. Um, and you'll be able to define that and you'll be able to realize, although he's an amazing guy, he has most of the qualities I want. He is not lighthearted. He is not playful. He's never going to go dance with me at 2 a.m. on a weekend. Um, unfortunately, he's not my guy. He'll be great for someone else. I'm getting closer. So pat yourself on the back for that. But he has to have those top five must-haves. He has to have them. This is such a great conversation. Where can everybody find you and learn from you? Yeah, um, you can find me at noradekaiser.com. Um, and I'll put my, I have a quiz on there for attachment styles. So I think that's really going to help you guys out. It, it truly changed my life with my own relationships. So I, I encourage you all to take that quiz to be able to identify which attachment style you have and then be able to move forward with it and hopefully find your, your dream guy. Relationships are so beautiful and so exciting to have. And my biggest hope um, and mission in life is for everyone to have a, a true love that is real and raw and authentic um, and not something that, that we're trying to control. Oh, thank you so much for being on the show. This was so great. Thank you for having me. Holler, it's Ash. And obviously, you and I both know I have a lot to say about this episode because love has been such a heartache, pun intended. <laughs> for me, um, you know, I was in a five-year relationship with an amazing human who just wasn't my guy. And I ended up being courageous and calling off our wedding after we were engaged and listening to myself. And that has sent me the past few years on such a journey of truth and trusting myself and listening to that voice that was always there that I didn't want to listen to and teaching everyone in my life and all of my clients and my private practice and, you know, e-courses like how to connect to yourself. Because I think that ultimately life becomes really easy and what to do becomes a very clear answer when you have some level of connection to yourself. And I found that Nora's discussion about the attached book was really, really relevant. If you haven't read that book, I can't recommend it enough. You'll breeze through it. Um, even if you don't like reading, it will captivate you because there's information about you in there and how you can improve. And it just kind of provides boxes, <laughs> you know, and God knows we all love to put people in a little box <laughs> so that we can kind of diagnose and understand the people around us. So it's really, really powerful. And in my personal case, I think a lot about what patterns that I attract in my love life, in my partnerships, um, in the men that I'm dating. Um, and if you're, you know, listening, even if you're in a partnership right now, if you reflect back on who you dated and what was missing for you, more often than not, you will realize that it, that thing has been missing for you forever. So, in my case, I had the best dad ever. He's a hilarious, crazy man. And he was stressed about money all the time. He wasn't very present because he was worried. He was worried about his survival. And he didn't do the best at keeping that from me. So I could hear him worrying. And so what I didn't get in my upbringing was stability. Like things didn't feel stable. I always felt worried that we were going to lose our house or God knows what. And as a result, I have been seeking out stability as an adult, picking a life partner. And so in your case, I think just really reflecting back on Nora's question, like what didn't you get from your parents that you feel is like non-negotiable in a life partner? 
Um, and I think if I go deeper, one of the things I didn't really feel like I fully got was connection and stability and feeling like if I have something going on, everybody will kind of let the dust, dust settle in the room and listen to me. Because I, I, I had, you know, parents who are worried about keeping the bread on the table. And so I think ultimately um, what that's translated into for me as an adult is wanting to find someone that will never, ever provide that kind of insecurity in my life again. Like I'm like traumatized by it, you know, like ugh, never again. So at the slightest whiff of a, a guy who's like, I don't know, I'm just trying to figure this out. I'm like, ah, get away from me. No, I don't want instability. And then at the same time, because I didn't have stability, instability was a comfort point for me. So even if I don't like it, it's like the devil you know is worse than the devil or is better than the devil you don't. So in my case, I got really comfortable being in a house that was not stable, that was not predictable. Um, I got really comfortable with a dad coming home sometimes totally fine and then other times totally worried and panicked. That became a comfort zone for me. And as a result, when I reflect back on my dating life the past five years, especially since I called off my wedding to that sweet, amazing guy, I realize now that um, I have picked a lot of men who have very high highs and very low lows, very much like my dad. So what's that about? According to Nora, according to a lot of therapists, what would probably that would probably mean is that I'm trying to find someone that reflects the life that I, the struggles that I experienced as a kid so that I can fix it as an adult. I can fix it and take some sort of empowerment back on. And this whole thing sounds kind of like, whoa, but I think it's true. And I'm finding it not just with myself, but in my friendships, I'm watching them pick their life partners and I'm watching them pick the partner out of a good space where they feel like it's a good connection. And then I'm watching them pick the partner out of the wound, the part of them that wants to fix that person and all the issues that they had in their childhood through that person. So I would say whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you're dating, ask yourself, what didn't you get when you were a kid? And what was a comfort point for you? Like, what was your house like? And what was a comfort zone for you? And how are you actually surrounded by a lot of that as, as an adult? And if you're not, there must have been some sort of healing you've done, awareness you've had. And I salute you. <laughs> because fuck, this is the real work. Like, I feel like in my career, when I want something and when I'm clear, it's like off to the races. I can go and create and I can teach my business coaching clients how to do that. I can teach my career coaching clients how to figure out what they want. Job hunters, how to get their job, whether it's in an e-course, whether it's privately. But when it comes down to me really grounding into finding the right person to spend my life with, I have to say it's been such a heartbreaking experience because I have had so many guys come into my world, even this this past year that I've dated that are great guys. They're really great guys, but they're not my guy. And it's like I can feel how easy it is to settle, how easy it would be for me to look at that person and say, yep, they're amazing. Like, let's do this. But and it's not like I'm a perfectionist. It's not like I'm not willing to be happy. But I think that there's a willingness inside of me to look at the patterns I'm playing out so that I could clear them, clear my windshield and start driving through a clean windshield. So just some thoughts for you to consider today. Um, ultimately, just you asking yourself, what did I get used to as a kid? What was the chaos that became my friend in my household? What kind of chaos was friendly to me? What kind of chaos was a comfort zone for me? And what didn't I get? What, do I, what did I really need that I didn't get? Um, and just taking a look at your current partner or the partners you've chosen and how you might be playing that out, trying to fix that unmet need earlier on. So really powerful work, really good awareness. And I'm sure you're wondering, well, once I take a look at that, now what? 
Well, once you're aware of something, you get to change it. So I think start paying attention and realize that that secure person, just like Nora said, is going to start to feel kind of boring. It doesn't, and, and then to really just sit with it and see what happens with it, not to make that even keeled energy mean that it's not a match. So giving it a little more space, a little more of a try, maybe getting coached by somebody, seeing somebody, talking to a therapist. If you feel like this is blocking you, I've certainly done my own work on it and I'm starting to see the results, which is really exciting. AKA amazing gentleman um, who can hold it down and not be a reflection of all of my unmet needs as a kid. So I salute you ladies and evolved gentlemen, I know you're listening to who have really worked with this and those of you who are still working on it, I get it. And I wish you all of the magic that is here for you. All right, this is Ashley Stahl signing off and I can't wait to connect with you next week. Thanks again for tuning into this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. We keep really detailed show notes at U-TurnPodcast.com. So if our guest mentioned a book or a resource that you're interested in, you'll be able to find that there. In the meantime, if you were inspired by this episode, if it made an impact in your life, we would be so grateful if you subscribed and posted a review for us on iTunes. Rumor has it on the street, the more reviews we get, the more subscribes we get, the more we can grow and get our impact out there in the world. In the meantime, I'd love to hear from you at Ashley Stahl on Instagram. I'm so grateful for connecting and I look forward to next week's episode.